Well, what an awesome day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I was saying to the band uh, before, you know, when it's a nice sunny day on Sunday, it really adds to the energy. When it's a nice sunny day on Saturday night, it does not add to the energy. So I was really glad to see the sun shining here. And I want to welcome everybody again at all of our locations. We're coming in live at West and Halifax. Hey, can we just say hi to our brothers and sisters at all of our locations? Well, Today, we are going to finish our series we've been doing over the last few weeks called Know God. And to get things started, a couple, about a month and a half ago, I was online and someone shared a video of the new trailer for the upcoming Marvel movie, The New Spider-Man. Anybody seen the trailer for The New Spider-Man? I don't know when it's coming out, but it's coming out. But I clicked on it. And instead of it coming into the trailer, you know, like the, the dramatic music and one man with one mission, right? Like that, why did, why, who is this guy and why does he do every single trailer? Anyway, instead of that, instead of that, it was the actor who plays, uh, where am I going? Hi. Hey, West. All right. It was the actor who plays Spider-Man and he, and he comes on and he goes, he goes, okay, guys, before you see the trailer, you need to know that if you watch this trailer, it's going to spoil the end of Marvel Avengers Endgame. So if you haven't seen Endgame, don't watch this trailer. It was, I've never seen anything like it on an official trailer, but, but Marvel knew, Disney Studios and Marvel knew that if you saw the trailer, it would ruin Endgame for you and that you might not want to go and spend your money to go see the movie. So they put that out there because they know that if you saw the trailer, you'd draw conclusions about Endgame that would cause you to not have to see the movie. Anybody ever had a movie spoiled for them? Yeah, it was okay for me because my son had already spoiled the end game for me, so I was able to watch it anyway. But we know that sometimes in life, whether it's a movie, whether it's a, a sporting event or, or just anything, you can get information that causes you to have the ability to fill in the blanks. You don't need to see the movie anymore because I already know how it ends. I can fill in the blanks. I have the critical information. The rest I can kind of just fill in. And, and along those lines, what I want to do today as we continue and we conclude our series we're calling No God is we've come to a point where I want to kind of start drawing some conclusions for our lives. We actually have enough critical information now that when we look at the blanks and the I don't knows and the what ifs of our lives, we're actually going to be able to fill in the blanks based on what we've learned about who God is. If you're just joining us, over the last several weeks, we've been on a journey trying to find out what does God reveal to be true about himself. We live in a day and age, we live in times where there's all kinds of ideologies and philosophies and ideas about God. And we said, hey, we, listen, we want to press in and we realize something, that everybody is entitled to their own opinion, but not everybody's entitled to their own truth. There's only one truth, correct? And so we've been pressing in, trying to find what does God reveal to be true about himself, and we want to believe that. And so we've been pressing back against maybe the God of our feelings, or the God of our friends and relationships, or the God of our fears. And we've been looking in the scripture and looking at the person and work of Jesus and saying, this is what is revealed to be true about God. We've been doing it week in and week out. And we've learned a few things about who he is. We, we've discovered a couple, a couple facts. We've been out here trying to, to, to figure out what does God reveal about himself. And if I was going to contextualize it and put it in, in kind of one category, uh, we learned something. We learned about God's uh, holiness, the fact that God is a God of glory. Remember in week two, we talked about uh, Isaiah's vision and that the, we, the train of his robe filled the temple and holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who, who was and is and is to come. 
Okay, cameras, let's keep up right here, right? All right, okay, okay. Yeah. We, we, learned about, we learned about the holiness of God. And then, and then in week two, we, we learned about God's greatness. or We learned about his power, remember? Yeah? Anybody remember? Yeah. Pastor Seth did an incredible job talking about, like, how God's power created and carries and covers all creation. That we can, it's, it's not just a, a general power, the mega power, but it's a personal power. It's a, it's a moving power, one that moves on our behalf and moves for us and toward us. We saw that best represented in Jesus Christ. And we also learned about the measured power that God wants to anoint his church. Amen? We don't want to be a church that just talks about Christian-y things. We want to be a church that's empowered. And then we talked last week about the love of God. Let me just maybe use the word good, that God's goodness displayed to us, that not only is he great and glorious, but that he's unbelievably good. That's who he is. We learned that, that God doesn't have love. God yeah, God is love. That's actually who he is. And we learned that was best demonstrated on the cross of Christ, that all that God is was compounded in that moment where God's greatness and glory, his wrath and his justice and his holiness poured out on Jesus simultaneously, his love and his mercy and grace there in the person of Jesus. I hope last week you left feeling like, wow, God really is love and I feel great about that. God is love. And so over these last few weeks, we've been kind of putting God in this sort of category that if we're going to boil it down, we can, we can understand that God is these three things. And what, what we find is, as we get talking about God, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've been thinking about God, is what we start to find is that all of these attributes about who he is, they touch they, they compound and they complement one another. Sometimes when, like last week, we talked about the wrath of God and the grace of God. And sometimes when we think about God, we think like he's got this split personality. You read the Old Testament, like, is he mad? You read the New Testament, is he happy? And you have this kind of like, anybody ever think about like that? Like you kind of compartmentalize the character of God. But that's actually not how you're supposed to think about God. In fact, God is all of these things all the time. He's not just a little bit great, but a little bit good and a little bit glorious. He's entirely all these things. And what we find is they start to feed off one another and fill in the whole picture. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He said in uh, his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he said, All theology is said to be established in a circle. Because if any one of his attributes is, any one of his attributes is affirmed in another... In studying in any attribute, the essential oneness of all the attributes soon becomes apparent. We see, for instance, that if God is self-existent, he must also be self-sufficient. And if he has power, he being infinite must have, say it. Yeah, he has all power. If he possesses knowledge, his infinitude assures that he possesses, say it. All knowledge. So you see how these things connect. They, they work together in harmony and in concert. Similarly, his immutability, the fact that he's unchanging, his immutability presupposes his faithfulness. If he is unchanging, it follows that he could not be unfaithful. You see the logic? They connect. Since that would require him to change. Any failure within the divine character would argue imperfection. And since God is perfect, it could not occur. So you see how Tozer is trying to get you to think about God in this kind of circle. That God is all of these things. And he says that based on those, you can start drawing certain conclusions about who he is. And that if you roll that back far enough, and here's what I want to do today, we can start drawing conclusions about what that means for us. 
that if God is entirely holy and entirely great and glorious and he's entirely good, then what that means for you and me is that we can believe and trust that he is entirely faithful. We're going to talk today about the faithfulness of God, that God is faithful. What do I mean by faithful? I mean that God is 100% in his entirety. He is 100% and fully trustworthy. There is nothing in him that cannot be trusted. He is fully and entirely faithful. So I wanted just today, and I felt like the Lord wanted us to wrap up our series for now. In no way have we plumbed the depths of who God is. There's so many things we could still talk about, but I feel like much like the Spider-Man trailer, we've got enough essential information that we can start filling in some blanks about the rest of life. And so what I want to do today is I want to just talk about his faithfulness. And my hope is before you leave, you have a ballooned idea about how faithful God is. And it starts to minimize some of the weights you're carrying on your shoulders today. I felt like the Lord wanted us to leave here feeling lighter, our heads lifted, our hearts encouraged and empowered. God's called us to that. The Bible says God did not give you a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. And so that's what we're going after today. And we're going to find it in the faithfulness of God. Now, one thing I want to ask of you. The title of my message is this, No, He's Faithful. No, He's Faithful. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I preach here quite often. Um, and I generally craft my annual preaching calendar. Starts in August and it runs through June. And I usually take five weeks, four or five weeks off every July to kind of recharge. And I, look, I got nothing left to say after this week. I'm out. All right. So. I'm going to take a few weeks off, and you're going to hear from some of our other awesome pastors. But I thought, you know what? I've preached almost 40 sermons this year. It's been great. It's been fun. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to help me preach the last one, okay? All right. Yes, I got one person at the Valley. West Halifax, I'm talking to you. So here's what we're going to do. I, I got thinking about the faithfulness of God. And I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want to talk about? He says, I want to just kind of paint with a broad stroke some of the situations and circumstances you will face in life and how with the blanks and the questions of life, we can fill those in with God's faithfulness. And so I'm going to, over the next few minutes, I, I just jotted a few down, 10. Um, <laughs> We're gonna, it's going to be fast. I promise I'm going to end on time. But I, these aren't, this isn't all the things that you're going to face in life, but this is some of the stuff that you and I go through in life and how God wants us to learn how to fill in the blanks with his faithfulness, to expect him to fill the blanks, that we have enough essential information about him to be able to treat opposition and tribulation a certain way. So here's what I'm going to do. As I break these things down, I'm going to say in opposition, I can trust God because I know. And when I say because I know, I want you to say he's faithful. All right. I, I, I literally mean that. I mean, all of you are going to say he's faithful. And I want you to say it in such a way that you encourage the person next to you, maybe elbow them, maybe slap their knee if you're related. And I want, we're going to preach to one another today. Can we do that, West Halifax? All right. So let's practice. You can trust God in this situation because I know. That's all right. But I don't feel like the person next to you is going to feel encouraged after that. So let's try once more. You can trust God in all circumstances because you, I know. All right, West Halifax, we got it. So we're going to do that at least 10 times. You with me? All right, don't even like, oh, look, I've done 40 sermons three times a weekend all year. I got like 120 real-time hours on this stage. Help a brother out, okay? Here we go. 
Let's talk about opposition first. Let's draw some conclusions about who God is. Paul taught us how to do this, actually, before we start filling the blanks. I'm not doing something that Paul didn't do. If you read the, the letters of Paul, Paul, for every circumstance, had an answer that called on God's faithfulness. Do you know that? Like he said in, in, in Romans chapter 8. Let's read it before we move on. He said, what shall we say then in response to these things? Trouble, hardship, nakedness, famine, sword, all the stuff. He says, if God is for us, hey, he's faithful. I'm not worried about it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? His, his expectation is formed by God's faithfulness. You see that? He did it again. He did it in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. He's writing the Thessalonians. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus who calls you, he who calls you is, say it. He's faithful and he will surely do it. God can't fail. It's in his nature. If God could fail, he wouldn't be God. And so Paul says, based on his faithfulness, I'm expecting he's going to do it. Isn't that good? Start drawing conclusions about your life based on the faithfulness of God. He was talking about the change that we see. How many of you know sometimes uh, becoming like Christ doesn't just happen overnight, yeah? It's funny, like you put your faith in Jesus and then it's a journey where God begins to change and transform you day by day by day by day. Sometimes you wonder, is it working? Anybody ever have that? Like, I don't feel that different. Well, here's what Paul says to that. He says, yeah, you might not, but God is faithful and he's going to do it. Look what he says. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. A.K.A. if he started it, he's going to? Yeah, so he's faithful. So let's look at a few different things. And just because I enjoy big words and I'm a bit of a wordsmith, any word nerds out there, I, 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 I tried to find the biggest words, the most robust words I could come up with. And so uh, I, let's go. Let's see what we got here. First, when we are in seasons of opposition, when you are in a season of battle, when you are in a season where things are coming against you, anybody ever feel like, man, when it rains, it pours and everything's coming against me at once. When you are in the season where you feel under attack, we need to know, because he's faithful, we need to know, I'm going to expect victorious protection. That in opposition, my expectation is protection. Why? Because I know In opposition, my expectation is victorious protection. Why? Because I know. Yeah, there it is. He's faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Yes, he is faithful. God will protect you in opposition. If God is infinitely powerful, infinitely great, if he's entirely good to me, like Paul said, if God didn't hold back his son, what else would he hold back? And if his glory is at stake, then my expectation in opposition is God is for me. And like Paul said, if God is for me, who can be against me? That, that no matter what comes against me, that which is working for me is greater than that that pushes against me. That's my expectation. I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know how it's all going to work. I don't know this or that. What I do know is this, that God is abundantly for me. And if God is on my side, that's what I need. 
in any circumstance or situation. Uh, the, the, the Jews actually called uh, God, they had a name for God, they had many names for God, but one of them was Jehovah Nisi. And Jehovah Nisi is this idea of God being our banner. Anybody ever see like Braveheart or old war movies where the army would march out and they'd have a banner, they'd have banner men that held the, the signet, the symbol of the army, of the kingdom. And what the Jews were saying is God is the name that is over us. That it's God's name. And that, there's a couple things. That should encourage you, one, that God will fight for you. He promises that. But it should encourage you in another way. That it's God's name that's at stake. You ever think about that? Like if you've given God your life and you say, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to walk and follow you. If you have walked into a season and God's even led you there and there's opposition, look, his glory's at stake. As you hold his name up and say, I don't know how he's going to do it, but God's going to deliver me because he's not going to let his glory get smudged. God is for you. In opposition, you can expect victorious protection. Why? Because I know... Yeah, he's faithful. God's faithful. He's faithful. Look what David says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. Why? Because God is for me. God is with me. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be, say it, confident. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. See, David's expectation in all opposition was victorious protection. God's got me. Say it. God's got me. God's got me. He, he has you. And sometimes the, the, the battle doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. And it doesn't happen the way you thought it would happen. But listen, he's got you and he will have the last word. I was reminded of that, of that this week. Um, there's, a, there's a thing, I'm, I'm praying that, that, that for an advocate. Uh, there's, there's a situation, I won't get into a ton, a ton of detail, but uh, our, our church board and our leaders have been just wanting to see something shift on our behalf. And I remember just earlier this week, just praying, like, I wish I had somebody who could just kind of, a friend in a high place that could kind of come along and just help us here. And I felt the Lord say, <clears> hmm. <throat> See, with Jesus, you have the ultimate friend in a high place. You have the ultimate friend in a high place. And in fact, he's, it's even higher than, than you think it is. And the way he works is different sometimes. But here's the deal. God's victory will be entire. It will be complete. This is like in Colossians where it says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and principalities and authorities, making a public spectacle of them on the cross. At the time, it didn't look like victory, did it? It looked like defeat, but God's victory is so great that even in the appearance of defeat, it will be complete and overwhelming victory. So trust in opposition, victorious protection. Number two, let's keep going. He'll win. Number two, in the trial and tribulation, in the, in the season where, uh, what am I thinking about with this, with trials and tribulations? I'm thinking about words. I'm thinking about things that, that don't just come against your body, but come against your mind. It's in the season of doubt. It's in the season of fear. It's in the season of anxiety. In that season, my expectation in God, because he's faithful, I'm going to look for and expect heavenly arbitration. Why? Because... Yeah, all right, West, Halifax, you're with me, good. 
He's faithful. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean that when the word of anxiety and the word of fear comes up against us, we remind ourselves that God's word is greater than any other word. And that when something has been ruled in the courts of heaven, it's a done deal. Period. And so what we do in these seasons of tribulation, these seasons of doubt, these seasons of I, I just want to see this change, in the season of waiting on a miracle, holding to a promise, we remind ourselves that if God said it, it's done. That if God said it, it is finished. It's a done deal. Because here's the deal. God can't break his word. Do you ever think about that? Like, God, if he's God, he literally can't break his word. Look at how the psalmist says it. He, he goes on, he says in Psalm 89, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. My mouth, with my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Now watch how robust the psalmist believes God's faithfulness is. Look at this. If his sons, this is the promise that God made, if your sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod and their iniquity with flogging. What's he saying? He's saying, I will correct my kids. God is not afraid to spank us. Just saying. Yeah? But now watch this. But I will, no matter what they do, no matter what you do, I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. He can only be faithful. Watch this. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. So when God has said, when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, that means it's finished. That means when the spirit of condemnation rises up, you, you seek that higher court of appeal and you remind yourself when Jesus said it's finished, when the Bible tells me there is now therefore no condemnation, it means there is no condemnation. For every word that comes against you, there is a higher and greater and eternal word. And the Bible says in Isaiah, it says that the word of God will not return void. It will accomplish its purposes. If God said it, it will happen. I don't know who needs to hear that. If God promised it, it will, it will happen. He delivers on his word. His word cannot fail because God cannot fail. So in the season of tribulation, in the season of doubt, in the season of fear, we seek what God has already said and we hold on to it. It's like being in a boat with the, with the waves rocking and crashing and you find that anchor that will not be moved. That's God's word. We trust him in the season of trial and tribulation because he's faithful. Number three, I've preached, I could preach a full sermon on all of these, but I just want to keep it moving because I wanted to just kind of, I suspect that everybody is or has been or will be in one of these situations. In the season of the unknown, when I am in a season where I'm not really sure what's next, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to play out. I, I really can't see beyond the here and now. My expectation, however, about tomorrow where I will end up is triumphal procession. Triumphal procession. What do I mean by that? Well, let me, first, let me, let's do our thing. In the season of the unknown, my expectation is triumphal procession. Why? Because I know we're getting it. There we go. Good, good. That's, this, is, this is helping me. This is going to make me want to come back in August and preach. Like, I remember that last time. It's like, wow, that was so good. The crowd was just with me. And yeah, so in the unknown, 
triumphal procession. Where do I get that word? If you've been here over the years, you've probably heard me reference this. It comes from a scripture uh, where Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's writing them saying, look, we had a change of plans. Uh, we, were think, we thought we were going to go this way, and now all of a sudden it looks like we're going that way. wasn't my plan, but apparently I guess we're going to Greece. So, okay. And he writes to them saying, I wasn't planning on this. However, my expectation is based on God's faithfulness. Look what he says, 2 Corinthians 2.14. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. Now, those of you who are like me who are still celebrating and on a 10 out of 10 high about the recent Raptors championship. Did I mention that I'm a Raptors fan and that we're, we're champions? Did I mention that? Yeah. Did anybody watch the parade? There was like a massive parade and they, they, they cleared the streets and they, they paraded down the streets, make way for the king of the north, right? Like that's, that's what... Kawhi not? Kawhi Leonard? All right, never mind. But the, yeah, okay, good, thank you. Yeah, so they're, they're make way for it, make way. And, that's, and Paul was referencing like this triumphal parade that, that the path has been cleared. That, that there's, you're coming in not just with a clear path, but in conquering, conquest, in victory. And this is what Paul is saying. I don't know where I'm going to go. All I know is this, that Christ rules and reigns in complete victory. He's not locked into time. So that tells me that wherever I go, his greatness, goodness, and glory goes before me. Woo! Doesn't that change everything? Like if you give God permission to lead your life and you remind yourself like, okay, I didn't plan to be having treatment right now for this illness. However, I know based on who God is, I'm here in the oncology ward taking chemotherapy in triumphal procession. I know who commands my destiny. And so you have that encouragement that comes. He's faithful even in this, even in this time of the unknown. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm praying and I'm believing he's going to heal me, but I don't even know how it's going to go. All I know is this, that tomorrow when it comes, I go in triumphal procession. He's already there making a way in victory. That's what, that's what Paul means by triumphal procession. That's, a, that's an encouraging word. Whatever's next, I don't know what it is. All I know is this. He goes before me, he's faithful, and I go in triumphal procession. In the treatment, triumphal procession. When I'm waiting up late for my daughter to come home because she's out at prom night and I'm freaking out, right? <laughs> triumphal procession. Yeah, regardless of the circumstance. If God leads you, I remember my, my mentor helping me with that. I was, uh, was kind of, I was in Atlanta with, with Kevin Myers, a guy who's just poured into my life. And I remember I was just kind of coming to grips with leading a larger church. And, and still I was, I was in my young 30s and uh, just struggling. And I, I was dumping out all my, my fears and, and concerns at him. He let, me, he let me vent. And then he looked back at me and he just said, look, God, do you trust God's leadership? Like for, not for the church, for you, Brent, do you trust God's ability to lead you? He will not lead you to undo you. Yes, he will discipline you. Yes, he will refine you. But he's leading you from glory to glory to glory, and he knows what he's doing. Triumphal procession. Number four, let's keep going. I told you we we're going to get through this quick, right? Loving the big words. Number four, when I'm in a season where it doesn't seem like there's enough, Anybody feel like you can't make ends meet? Or you, if I just had another $1,000, right? If I just had another whatever. In the, in the season of lack and need, based on God's greatness, glory, and goodness, my expectation is assured provision. 
My expectation is God will provide. Why? Because I know he's faithful. Yes, he's faithful. Elbow the person next to you. Tell him again. He's faithful. Yes, we're leaving here encouraged. All right, Halifax West. No matter the need, and this is what Paul was getting at when he said, look, if God already withdrew the most precious commodity in the universe, being himself, being his son, if he already gave you his son, why on earth would he hold anything back? That God is able to provide all that you need when you need it. Anybody testify to that? Sometimes we think we need things we don't need. Sometimes we're praying for God to supply tomorrow's provision. But in actuality, God promises no matter where you end up, I will give you daily bread. I'll give you exactly what you need when you need it and then some. He'll actually give you enough to be a blessing to others. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. I love this. For every need, God is the provision. Uh, the, the Jews call him Jehovah Jireh, my provider, that he will provide for us. Look in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. What's he talking about? If you live worshiping the gap, saying, I'm in need and there's not enough, you're going to live sowing sparingly. But watch, he says this. If you learn to trust God, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You'll, there'll be a return. Each of you should give how, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, here's, here's the heart of it. Look what he says. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that's not just enough. That's what? More than enough. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 10, he goes on and says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see what he's saying? He's saying it doesn't matter what needs you have. You have the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills supplying you. He'll take care of you. He'll supply every single need. Some of you might be in that season right now. How, my, my question is, are you... Looking to God, and a lot, a lot of the time we think like, okay, God, uh, supply my need, but you're not living in faith. Did you notice that faith precedes this? Paul says, give expecting that God will supply. So some of you need to put God to the test in this area and start trusting him to supply all your needs. That's not just about finances and resources. It's about patience. It's about peace. It's about, remember when Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, he said, uh, three times I prayed that God would heal me. I had this thorn in my flesh. Three times I asked him, and what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. That even in the illness, in the ailment, I'll give you sufficient grace. He will supply all of our needs. Why? Because, yeah, that's right. He's faithful. Number five. Is this helping anybody? We having fun? In the frustration. What do I mean by frustration? I mean those situations and circumstances, those, those, those needs that just, or those kind of things that just won't move in your life. 
I mean the, the, the walls in your life that just seem to not want to budge. It's that circumstance. It's that relationship that just won't shift or change. It's that thing that you're wanting to reach, but there needs to be something break before it happens. It's those chains that hold you. Those of you who maybe struggle with an addiction or a dependency, it's those things that keep us frustrated and held back. In the frustration, my expectation is complete liberation. Complete liberation. Here's what we know about God. Remember in Isaiah 6, it said, I saw his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. I saw him, and it said, behold, the train of his robe filled the temple. It spilled out. What was he saying? Remember, he was saying that the, 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 there was nothing binding the greatness of who this God is. No limits. No boundaries. That means that God cannot be bound into a space. That means that nothing can hold him. And so if that God is for you and that God be with you, then the byproduct of having God with you is one thing. It's freedom. It's freedom. Some of you might be bound in by fear. Invite God in and he breaks through fear. Are you bound in by shame, held back by your past? Invite God and he's the chain breaker. He's the wall smasher. That's who he is. In the season of frustration, my expectation is complete liberation because I know he's faithful. That's right. He's faithful. There's no chains that can hold him. There's no walls that can hold him. There's no circumstance too big and too great for him. I love that. That's why one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, story of Joshua, when, they, when he took the Israelites and there's this great city, this fortified city called Jericho, huge, tall walls. And, and God said, hey, circle the walls for seven days. And then on the seventh day, go around seven times and give a victory shout in faith for the Lord has given you the city. And when they did that, what happened? The walls came down. We serve a breakthrough God. We serve a God who breaks down walls, who pulls back chains, who, 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 who gets rid of the darkness. That's who he is. When I'm frustrated, I call on God to break through for me. That's what he does. Number six, in the disappointment, in the disappointment, in the setback, in the circumstance that didn't go the way I went and I feel like I took one step forward and two steps back, when I find myself in a season of disappointment, my expectation is that soon I'm going to have a greater designation. In disappointment, my expectation is a greater designation because I know, elbow the person next to you this time, I know he's faithful. Yeah, he's faithful. That's who he is. What do I mean by a greater designation? We don't serve a God of decrease. The Bible says, it says in 2 Corinthians, it says that we with unveiled faces, we contemplate his glory, are being transformed from glory to not just glory, but it says we're being transformed from glory to ever-increasing glory. That God is a God who is ever-increasing. Remember Pastor Seth talked in week two about how when he spoke creation, creation is expanding and still is. God's glory is expanding and it still is. And if you follow this God and you serve this God, he leads you from glory to ever-increasing glory. So even in the seasons where it seems like a door closed, my expectation is because that door closed, he's leading me to another one that's going to be better. That's what he does. Like the old preacher said, it wasn't a setback, it was a setup. <laughs> right? God, that's what God does. 
Sometimes it feels like your life's being drawn back. Think of your life like a bow and an arrow. For that arrow to be released with strength, to go farther, what happens? It has to be pulled back farther. And sometimes God's pulling us back, but we as believers realize in the disappointment, in the setback, really what God's doing is he's setting me up and he's pulling me back to release me and launch me to a higher place. That's what God does. That's who he is. He is a God who will, he is a God of promotion. He is a God of appointment. The Bible says that I am the one who opens doors that no man can open and I close doors that, or I, I open doors that no man can shut and I close doors that no man can open. God, if he's your doorkeeper and you come to a closed door, you realize, thank you, Lord, I didn't need that one anyway. You must have something better for me. Has anybody had a circumstance or situation in your life, you've been following God long enough to see a door slam shut that in, you, you cried over and now in hindsight, you're like, thank you, Lord. Dodged a bullet there. Her name was, right? Like, yeah. Or a job or a situation. Look, God is a God who will lead you to greater and greater things. That's what he does. That's who he is. It doesn't mean, don't think of it in human terms. It doesn't mean we all can't be the president. Think of it in terms of satisfaction, joy, peace, life, vitality, the real stuff. The stuff that lasts, he leads you from glory to glory to glory to glory, ever increasing glory. God is my doorkeeper. And if I have a disappointment, I realize that he's leading me better than I thought, I could, that I, better than I thought he would. He's leading me to a greater and better place. That's what he does. You need to learn his faithfulness in those seasons. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. God's a God of addition. He's a God of addition. Here's another one. Number seven, in the isolation when I am lonely, when I am down, when I am out, when it's just me and it feels like everything else is gone, in those times of complete darkness by myself, in the isolation, my expectation is special affection. I know in those times, the times where I am the lowest, God comes and he shows himself in a special, special way. Why? Because I know that he is, yeah, he's faithful. That's what he is. How many of you have noticed in your life, maybe those of you, can, some of you can testify, you've been following God long enough to know, in those times where, where you need him most, if, if you look to him, he's there. He really is. In those dark and those, those points where you're at rock bottom, I, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Elijah. Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel. He has this big showdown with the prophets of Baal, like the ultimate mic drop moment in the whole Bible where he's like, God, yeah, and it's awesome. And he, uh, he, they, he wins, this is great victory, and then he leaves, and he comes down the mountain. It's almost like prophetic. He comes down the mountain, and he just bottoms out. He crashes, like the ultimate emotional meltdown. Like this was a complete and utter, uh, just complete and utter meltdown. And we find, though, what happens when he's at rock bottom, God doesn't call from heaven and say, hey, pick yourself up, boy. He, in fact, sends heavenly attendants. And they meet him in a special way for a special circumstance in a very dark time in his life. Some of you have been there. Like, if I didn't go through that time, I would have never heard God's voice that way. The story goes on that uh, Elijah's literally in a cave. And God calls him out of the cave. And God's voice comes to him. And it's not in a loud shout. It's not in a, in a fire or an earthquake. But God whispers to him. See, God... One thing I know about whispering is if you're going to hear somebody when they whisper, you have to be what? Well, listening, yes, but close. You got to be close. 
If I whispered to you and I didn't have a microphone on, you wouldn't hear me. But if I was right next to you and I whispered into your ear, I love it. When you need God, when you're in those dark times, I, I, I've known God's faithfulness to just be extra close to me when I need him most. That's what he does. In the isolation, special affection. This is what David was talking about. Hey, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because he's with me. This is why uh, Isaiah said, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. We serve a personal God. His greatness and goodness and glory flows into a person in Christ who actually is with us and walks with us and goes with us. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd and I will never leave you or forsake you. Someone needs to hear that today because you feel alone. Jesus is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Almost done. Number eight, in the affliction, in the time where I'm being pressed and I'm in the fire, I'm in the difficulty, in the affliction, and how many of you know, look, we aren't one of those churches that says you follow Jesus, nothing hard is ever going to happen to you, nothing bad is going to happen to you. Read your Bible. Like every disciple died for their faith, and the one guy that didn't die for his faith was boiled alive and put in isolation for the rest of his life. I'd take the death. Like, so it didn't go that well. So sign up today. Right? Like, in, the, uh, in the affliction, there's difficulty. But what I know happens when I trust God's faithfulness in the affliction, my expectation, this is my favorite, glorious sanctification. He's like, he's got to be running out of shun words. What's sanctification? Sanctification is this, uh, it's this, it's this theological term where it's, it's, it's the work that God does in us to make us more like him. So sanctification is, it's, it's God's refinement process. It's the way that he cuts off the fat and burns up the chaff on our lives so that we, like, like we were talking about earlier, are, are changed from glory to glory. How many of you know there's some things about us that just can't go forward? Like Paul talks about how after the judgment that we'll, we'll pass through fire and that what we built with will be shown and that if you build your life with chaff and stubble, it's just gonna get burned up. But if you let the Lord refine you and create you and purify you, the gold and the diamonds of your life will actually shine through. See, God takes you through fire not to torture you, but to refine you. He takes you through those seasons to give you things that will last. He's actually trying to burn up the temporary with the trials. And he's depositing in you gold. He's bringing out the gold that he put in you. That's what he does. That's the point of Job. You ever read the book of Job? If you're in like a, a good season of life, it's the ultimate buzzkill. No one reads Job when things are going great. But Job's the oldest book of the Bible. It's like the first one on recorded history. And it's almost like God was giving us that word early on that, hey, in this world you will have troubles. But fear not, I've overcome it. And Job, in the book, he just goes through horrible, horrible affliction, like horrible. But in the middle of it, he says, look, when I, when I don't know what's going on, let's read it, Job 23, 8. says, I, if I go east, I don't find God. If I go west, I can't find him. If I, see, if I don't see him in the north, he's hidden. If I look to the south, where is he? I don't even know. I'm in this season. I, I'm being upturned, and things are going horrible. But he knows where I am going. And watch this. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. What's he saying? He's saying, God will not waste this. God will not waste this. That this fire I am going through is refining me. 
It's cutting things away from me. It's changing me into something. And how many of you, how many of you have lived long enough, maybe served the Lord long enough to realize it's actually like the things that have transformed me the most haven't been the big wins. The things that have transformed me the most have been the challenges in my life. They're actually the ones that have made me more like Jesus. And that's what he does. He'll use pressure. He's a good father. He'll discipline his kids. This is what Paul was getting at in Romans 8. He says, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That, that God will actually work the things that happen to you in your favor. That's what it's saying. It's not saying that God's saying, I'm going to sprinkle a little disaster on them. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you're going to go through things, but here's the beauty. God's faithfulness tells me that he's going to take those hardships that I go through and he's going to work them in my favor. He's actually going to use the things I go through to make me better and more like him. This is like uh, the end of Genesis. If you read Genesis, there's a story of Joseph and Joseph was sold into slavery, backstabbed by his brothers. Brutal, brutal, brutal life. Like went from one backsta- like one difficult season to the next. And then later on, God starts elevating him and promoting him. He was preparing him for what he would face later. And, and we find at the end of the story, Joseph and his brothers are there. And Joseph says to his brothers after he reconciles with them and God returns to him everything he'd lost and then some, he says, what was meant for evil, God meant for my good. And some of you are in a season right now where we serve a God that is able, like this is why he says, cast all your cares upon me for I care for you. He is able to take all the hurts, to take the difficulty, to take the fire season and refine, and refine us. So our prayer becomes in those seasons, God, based on your faithfulness, I'm saying, use this season to do in me what you want to do in me and I know that you're good. And I know that you're able. And I know that you will have your glory in my life. Number nine, we're almost done. Number nine, in the loss, in the dissipation, it's just a, a shun word for loss. When, when I've lost something, when something is here and then it is gone, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a season, maybe it's a hope, maybe it's all of us experience loss in life, don't we? Every one of us. It's, it's called being human. We've all lost loved ones. We've all lost uh, dreams. We've all, we've all had and experienced loss. But here's the, here's the beauty. When I serve this God, this great, glorious, and good God, my expectation is hopeful, even in loss. In dissipation, I can have hopeful expectation. In a season of loss, I can have hopeful expectation because I know that he is. Yeah, he's faithful. He's faithful even in loss. How many of you know this, that we don't serve a God who is a taker? We serve a God who is a giver. That's what he is. And sometimes, yes, he asks us to give something or he asks us not to do something. Like sometimes when you read the Bible, some of you grew up and you just thought that, the, that all the commandments of God were just all these things he's trying to hold you back from. Like thou shalt not, uh, you know, have relations with someone who's not your wife. Like he's just trying to hold you back from having sex with whoever you want, right? Like we look at the law of God as that, though he's trying to hold things back, but that's actually based on this God we've been discovering, a God who doesn't hold anything back, God is not a thou shalt not God. He's a that you may God. He's like, thou shalt not do this because I want you to get to do this. Thou shalt not sleep around because I want you to have an intimacy with your wife that goes far beyond what you hope for. 
Thou shalt not bear fault witness because I want you to be a person who when people talk about you, they trust your word. For everything God says don't, he has 20 so that you may. God is a giver. God is a God who wants to give and deposit. That's what he does. And so even in the season of loss, my expectation is he's going to take it and he's going to make it and he's going to return to me in the right season at the right time. I don't know when. This is why it says in Galatians, like at just the right time, you will reap a harvest. He's going to return to me. My expectation is that if God has taken something out of my hand at just the right time, something greater is going to come back in. That's what God is. That's who he is. Based on his greatness, his goodness and glory, I have hopeful expectation even in death. Here's the last one. His ability to return, his ability to refill, his ability to replenish, his ability to get back what was stolen, his ability to bring back anything that was lost is so great that that even reaches into death itself. In expiration, in, the, in death, in the ultimate loss, my expectation is unimaginable compensation. Can I get an amen? amen. Because I know that even in death, God is faithful. I know that even in the expiration, even when it seems all is lost, my expectation is unimaginable compensation. I have a hope that can't be taken. Why? Because God is faithful. Yeah, he's faithful. Even in death, this is the promise. This is why Jesus didn't just die on the cross, but he rose in victory as the first fruit, as the one, as the, as the shining example where he said, you know, anyone who believes in me, even though he die, he will live. That God is leading you and I as we follow him to reward. Like, let that sink in. He's leading you to reward forever and ever and ever. That he, like, I encourage you to read the end of the Bible. We talked about spoilers. There's a good spoiler you need to do. You need to go and you need to read Revelation 21. And 22, and remind yourself how this story ends. And remind yourself that someday I'm going to stand completely redeemed with a new body, a body that will never perish or spoil or fade. And I'm going to forever and ever experience joy. The Bible says in Revelation 21, there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more weeping, no more mourning, no more death, no more loss. He will be our God and we will be his people and it will be joy and pleasure forevermore. That's the promise. It says that no no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It hasn't even entered the imagination of man what God has in store for us. That's the end game. And if you see the end game, you don't have to see anything else. You already know enough. And you can start doing the math. I'll invite the bands to come back, all of our locations. I want to end with this story. This kind of clicked for me a few weeks ago. I had a young lady come up, and uh, it was after a service, and she came up and she I could tell was distraught, uh, had gone through something, and, and it wasn't the type of person, like some people just come talk to me every week, and, you, and that's great, I love you. But some people, like, you can tell she never bothers me, never wants to come up and talk, and this, this mattered. And so she came up, and she, she asked me a question. I could see it coming. And she said, hey, um, my, my sister passed away a couple weeks ago. Uh, this, is a young, this is a young adult girl, so we're not talking, it's talking a tragedy and injustice. She said, my sister passed away a couple weeks ago, and, you know, all year we've been praying for healing and we've seen God do healing. We have people give prophetic words saying she's going to be healed and we believed it. And he, she basically, like with tears, just said, why? Like, why did this happen? And we began to talk and share and, and I said, look, I honestly don't know. I don't know why you had those words. I have some ideas, but I, my ideas aren't sufficient. I don't know. But here's what I do know. 
I know the end of the story. I know, let's, I said, let's do some math. Let's do some math. And there's your life. All the ups and downs, the wins, the losses, the good, the bad, the justice and the injustice. And I don't know why in life it seems like, like we have that analogy, that saying, life's not fair, right? Because we look to the left and the right, see other people. You see, like some people just seem to go through more than others. And I don't know why. I don't know why you lost your sister. I don't, I don't get it either. So you have your life. We know, we know what you're dealing with right now. But let's, t- let's talk about the end. Here's, here's what I do know. The end of the story, God promises everlasting joy. Complete everlasting joy. He will be our God. We will be his people. And if, if there are no more tears or sorrow, that actually means that what God does is so all-sufficient that nobody will stand in eternity saying, yeah, but I lost a child. Yeah, but my sister died. That would, that would imply grief, wouldn't it? Like if you look back on your life and you say, yeah, but that happened, that would imply grief. So that would make God's word a lie. So if you believe what Revelation 21 says, it says unequivocally there will be no more tears. That means that everyone's testimony in the end game is going to be the exact same. It will be, God, you're good. And you led me so well. I I didn't know at the time why I got cancer. I didn't understand it. But now I see you did this and you did this and this happened. And now I have all this and and joy is my testimony. And you're good and you're great and you're glorious. And that's my testimony. That's how it's going to end. If you're in Christ, that's what you will be saying forever and ever and ever. That will be your testimony. So I start working back and I think, okay, you have your life and the things that we don't know that have happened. And there's obviously something in this equation, (laughs) something about God's faithfulness and his ability somewhere in here, based on who he is, that he is going to bring us to this. So I don't know why these things happened. I don't know how he's going to work it out. I don't know how, like I look at some of the things that some of you have gone through and, and it looks too big for me to fill that gap. I have no idea, but here's what I know. God promises this in the end. He says, I am completely and all sufficiently faithful. So I can know for every blank and every gap in my life that he is going to fill that fully. And my testimony in the end is going to be joy. So I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know why you went through it. I don't know why those things happened. I don't know. There's a lot of mystery. Here's what I do know, and it's enough that God is faithful and that your testimony in the end, whether you've lost unimaginable things, whether you're going through cancer right now, whether you're, you're, you're waiting for your child to kind of come back to God, all those things, every single one of us, our testimony will be, God, you're good. God, you're glorious. God, you're great. And you led me perfectly and you led my family perfectly. I have no regrets. That's, that's what it's going to be because he's faithful. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray across our locations. Let's pray and let's be done. Whatever this blank is, fill it with God's faithfulness. For every gap, for every unknown in your life, for every mystery in your life, you fill it with God's faithfulness. With God's faithfulness, you know enough. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know when that's going to change. 
I don't know when that promise is going to come into fruition. All I know is this. My, my story in the end is going to be joy forevermore. And God is faithful. If he started it, he'll finish it. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you today. You're faithful. You're a faithful God. It's who you are. Your goodness, your glory, your greatness, it, it, it tells me that I can trust you entirely. And so, Lord, in those moments where we feel like we, we, we don't know an answer, will we deposit and place your faithfulness in those gaps? You are the God who is sufficient in the gaps. And so, Lord, for all the gaps that are represented here in Halifax and West, Lord, we just say God is faithful in that gap. God is faithful in the area that I've lost. God is faithful in the battle. God is faithful in the trial. God is faithful in lack. God is faithful in anxiety. God is faithful in isolation. God is faithful in every single circumstance. We know that you're greater and you're good and your glory will not be denied. And so we place our faith in you, the faithful one, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said with authority, amen. 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 Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.